Welcome to The Code, your guide to health and human performance. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room, a performance-based rehab facility here in Denver. On this podcast, we're going to explore the key areas of your life that impact your overall health and wellness, from sleep hygiene and stress management to nutrition, movement, relationships, and more. We bring you conversations with industry experts and top performers to share strategies they have for cracking the code on health and human performance. Now let's get to today's show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I'm so excited for our episode today with Andrew Fix. Dr. Fix is a performance-based physical therapist with Physio Room and a fellow podcast host as well. He practices with Physio Room in Denver, Colorado, which is actually located right inside Lion's Den. And that's the gym that I train my in-person clients out of here in Denver. So I've referred a handful of my clients to him for sciatica, shoulders, um, and more. So I'm really, really looking forward to having him on today in our conversation to dive deeper into prevention and being proactive with your health, wellness when it comes to injury, movement, and overall health. So thank you so much for joining, Andrew. Sarah, good morning. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me. Thanks for having me. I am excited to be chatting with you. Yay. Uh, so Andrew, first and foremost, I just want you to tell the listeners here more about how your background, how you got into being a physical therapist. Yeah. And I feel like every physical therapist has this, you know, story of they went through their own injuries. There's things, there's things that they've gone through that sort of led them down this route of uh, considering doing it as a profession. And I'm really no different in that. I've had my fair share of injuries. Um, You know, the first time I ever really missed time was in eighth grade football season. And I had a hip injury, missed, missed several weeks. And, but that wasn't really the time in my life when I, you know, knew what I wanted to do. Right. So if we fast forward a little bit, I played three sports in high school and during my senior season of wrestling, uh, I had injured my knee in practice. And that was really like the final, like light switching on kind of moment that made me decide that I wanted to actually be a physical therapist. Prior to that, my father had had um, rotator cuff repair on both shoulders uh, at separate times. And I had the opportunity to shadow his physical therapist. And that's kind of what got the you know gears turning, so to speak. Uh, but then when I actually got hurt during that wrestling season, that's what really kind of made the decision for me. So I made my college choices based on where was there a physical therapy program. And then uh, football, wrestling, and track were the three things that I did in high school. And then I continued to do two of those in college. I played football, I ran track, and I kind of made my selection based on like, where can I go to school, do the stuff that I want to do, and have the physical therapy program in the same place. So I'm uh, I'm from Wisconsin originally, went to a school called Carroll and did it all right there. Six years, undergrad, PT school, played sports. And then I really started moving around, right? I moved to Atlanta to complete an orthopedic residency program right after school and uh, with the practice that I started my career with. And then I moved around a few times to the suburbs of Chicago, suburbs of Kansas City. And then about three and a half years ago, almost, uh, decided to leave that practice to move out here for uh, just to get a little bit farther west, explore these mountains in Colorado and uh, take this opportunity with Physio Room that you mentioned. Awesome. I love that. Well, one, you traveled so much and your story with having those previous injuries, I find to be more common when someone's a physical therapist is they've had their own injury, worked with a physical therapist or shadowed them and seeing how rewarding that job is because you can and then now relate to your clientele which is really really amazing um i want you to kind of tell us more for the listeners of not only your personal experience with those injuries and um and doing all the exercises to help with that one who wants to be just proactive with preventing their own injuries so doing this through exercise or habits I think many of us have a goal to just stay healthy, of course, and not be in pain or get injured, but these things happen as we age. Mm -hmm. So to stay on top of that prevention, where should the listeners start? 
Yeah, yeah, that is a great question. And, um, you know, the answer could be very complicated, right? Like there's mm-hmm. all these things that you could do, but what should you do? Uh, and, you know, first and foremost, I think, you know, we're both sitting down listening or recording this episode here. The first and foremost thing that you need to do is, man, we need to move. Our bodies were designed to move. And the more and more technologically advanced our world becomes, the more and more sedentary, it seems like our jobs and our lives become. And that's not really good for our bodies, right? If we look back hundreds and thousands of years ago, like, what were humans doing? They were they were walking, they were hunting, they were foraging for food, and they were like constantly moving. They were sitting on the ground, right? And now we sit in chairs, we sleep in beds, we sit in cars all the time, in airplanes. So the more we can move, the better off our body is generally going to feel. And of course, there's a there's a point to that, right? Because if you're used to sitting all the time, and then you decide one random Wednesday that you're going to go train for an ultra marathon, well. That may or may not be the best decision, right? To go move a ton when your body's not used to doing that. You have to gradually build up to that. Uh, Second, I would say, I think if we can just like, when we have aches and pains, if we can do something about that early on, early and often, and like not have this mindset of, oh, it'll get better, right? My my knee is sore. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to pop some Advil and you know, it'll go away, it'll get better. But we can actually try to look at that, understand, okay, I have knee pain, let's see if we can figure out why, right? Whether that involves doing your own research, or probably honestly seeking out the uh, recommendations and assessment from a skilled provider of some sort, no matter who that is, whether it's a coach, a trainer, a physical therapist, chiropractor, whoever that might be, like have somebody look at that, because the knee pain is just a symptom. There's a reason that that's there in the first place. And that's what we really want to address. And the more we can address those little things, the less aches and pains we're going to have, the more comfortable it's going to be to keep ourselves active. And then you're going to want to do things because your body's not hurting. Um, Yeah. And then that's, you know, those are both kind of physical answers without even going down the rabbit hole of making sure we're sleeping well and making sure we're managing our stress and eating appropriately, all those other categories. Yeah. Very. There's so many different components that play a role in it for sure. But mm-hmm. I love that you addressed the aches and pains because I find, especially dealing with clients that are much older. And then as we age, we hear that, you know, yeah, I guess my shoulder, I, I've always had like a shoulder ache <laughs> since mm-hmm. I you know, was in my 30s. Um, so I love that you said to start early and address it early on rather than yeah. letting it just potentially just get worse. How do you know when you should, like, it should be proactive and addressing it now? Like, no matter what, even if you have an ache or pain, or is it just when it's impacting your life? Yeah, good question. I think, the you know, the people that are participating in res- regular training or, you know, fitness or exercise generally understand the difference between if some, something is painful or injured compared to, like, if you're just sore from the training that you're doing. Um which when people are moving with proper mechanics and you're doing training that is appropriate for you, we usually don't get that sore, right? Unless we're doing more than what our body was really prepared for, or maybe we're moving a little mechanically inefficiently. Um, but if, you know, if you're just having regular soreness from exercise, that shouldn't really be lasting more than like, you know, maybe 48 hours at the most. If it's lasting longer than that, you've overdone it, right? You've overcooked it a little bit. You probably did more than your body was ready for. But if you're having like point-specific pain, if you're having joint pain with certain movements, such as knee pain with going down the stairs, for example, and it doesn't feel like it's just like soreness in your quad muscle, um, that's something that I would look to try and address, right? Look to figure out, especially if that's lasting for more than like 24 hours. Now, I think common... I don't know, common society wisdom says, ice it and take some pain medication. That is actually the opposite of what I would recommend doing. uh, Because neither of those things address why your knee hurts, they just try to mask and change the symptoms. So it doesn't really help us uncover the layers of what's actually going on. I love that you brought up because that was going to be one of my questions (laughs) was to ice or not to ice when you have an injury, because that's like the big thing where everyone, you know, you get joint pain, and you're like, well, I should just ice it. 
or that's what we're told. Yeah. Take some ad, yeah, ibuprofen. Why is that not beneficial in the long run to keep? Yeah, doing great that? question. And you're right; that gets brought up all the time. That's definitely what I was told to do most of my life, mm-hmm. until I would say probably the last, I don't know, six years, seven years, something like that. I probably have not iced things much at all. Uh, I was recently just reading. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a research article. It was more of like an expert expert's opinion or an expert's thoughts on icing and why, you know, the person from the Harvard Medical School that came out with the term rice, right? Rest, ice, yeah. compress, and elevate something. He has actually come back and publicly said, no, don't do this anymore. We've learned more information now in, you know, as more information has come out, this is not actually what we should be doing. So, Generally, the reason why is when you ice something, you are for a short term while that ice is on there, restricting or decreasing the blood flow to that region. And what we know is in order for the body to heal, in order for tissue to heal, we need nutrients that come through the bloodstream. And then we need to get rid of the damage and the the junk that's in there through our lymphatic system and ultimately try to excrete that out. Well, for restricting blood flow to an area, for a sustained period of time, that's going to slow down that healing process. So one of the best things you can do is to keep that area moving. Um, now, most people might be thinking, well, what about all of the inflammation, right? Like what if it gets really swollen? Well, that expert opinion piece that I was uh, referencing, what they sort of suggested is, you know, icing may still have a time and a place, but it is only in the extremely acute scenario, like right after you have an injury within literally like those first 12 hours. Once we're getting past the 12 hours, the very, very acute nature of that injury has passed. And the majority of like the immediate swelling and stuff has passed. And really, if you are going to ice, that's the time frame that I would recommend doing it immediately after something. But if you didn't have an acute injury and you just have something that's been bothering you for days or weeks, that's not really the time to be icing it. What we want to do instead is we want to promote movement to that area. Like say, for example, you sprained your ankle, right? And now it's two days later and your ankle is sore. We want to put some compression on that to try and help support the joint. We want to keep it moving. And then we want to start to get the muscles around that area contracting and engaging to try and help protect and stabilize that ankle so that you can more like as quickly as possible, get back to the activities that you really want to be able to do. So we don't lose the motion because that's what tends mm-hmm. to happen. Something hurts. We don't move it as much. And then we start losing motion of that area. And with that comes a loss of strength. And then that doesn't just come back on its own unless we do something about it. No, definitely. Thank you for diving deeper into that because yeah, I think that'll be super helpful for people to understand mm-hmm. why icing is probably not the best approach. And yeah, more about that. Also, when it comes to, like you mentioned, joint pain or knee pain, addressing where it's stemming from or the root cause of why you have that knee pain Yeah, happens all the time where people think, well, if it hurts, like I shouldn't move it. Like sometimes people think like if I'm hurting, my back hurts, like I shouldn't move at all. But really that's causing more detrimental to that area. So what's a good approach to one you said movement addressing like where it's maybe stemming from getting that you know professional to look at and do those right assessments but what do you find is another great approach like should we load that joint or in a safe way kind of like what's a good strategy for someone to just start yeah if they don't have access to a professional Mm -hmm. yeah great question and and like you said if you don't have access to a professional because even for somebody like you and I, we still even need other people's eyes to look at stuff that's bothering us because it's not easy to figure this stuff out. The human body is mm-hmm. complex and um, you know we've evolved over a long time and the, it's very complicated. So as a very general rule, you know what I encourage clients or other people to do is if something's bothering you, I want you to continue doing as much of your normal activity as you can that doesn't seem to be making it worse. And that doesn't mean you can't, you know, occasionally touch, kind of turn on and turn off the the heat, so to speak, on that painful spot, because that's how we determine if it's getting better, right? Sometimes we have to try things that may bother it just a little bit to know if it bothers us or not. Um, Mm -hmm. But we want you to keep moving as much as you can, just avoiding 
the things that are really bothering it. So like, let's take squatting, for example, and we've been talking about knee pain. So maybe somebody has knee pain and it hurts when they squat, but only if they get down to a certain depth, right? In that case, I would suggest they still do squats, just maybe don't quite go that deep. Maybe stop 10 degrees or 15 degrees sooner so that you can still work on the range of motion that you can that's not hurting. Um, or take that opportunity to work on the other movement patterns, the hinging, the deadlifts, the lateral movements that maybe aren't bothering that knee. And then you asked about loading. So I think what a lot of people like to do, you know, something hurts, something feels tight. Naturally, we feel like, oh, I need to stretch this, right? I need to stretch mm -hmm. this thing out so that it'll go away. And I actually find that is usually not the best solution. Uh, most of us, even though we have relatively sedentary, you know, lives and, uh, jobs and whatnot, we usually have enough mobility to do the basic movement patterns that we try to do, right? Like, like, for example, we, we work with a lot of runners. It does not take that much mobility in order to run a marathon, right? It's a very small movement pattern that you complete for thousands of steps and you don't have to just constantly be stretching in order to run a marathon. What we end up finding a lot is that there's lack of stability. There's lack of strength and control of joints that is allowing movement in a different plane than what we really want to be happening. Loading can be a great tool to help things feel better because when we get muscles engaging and get muscles contracting, we draw that blood flow to the area that we were talking about before. So I like to implement things like isometric contractions, right? If my knee hurts when I engage my quad, but that doesn't happen until I'm really like pushing hard. So imagine doing like a leg extension or a wall sit, for example. If you can do that to a certain depth or you can do a leg extension pushing with a certain effort and that doesn't hurt, but if you push harder, it does, it would be a great idea to do that at that lower intensity to try and get that quad muscle working, get the tendon, patellar tendon there working and um, make that muscle engage using that isometric to help reduce pain. Cause there's an analgesic pain relief effect to doing exercise. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I love that you brought up the stretching and understanding that we need more strength and stability around the joint rather than mm -hmm. just stretching it out. So bringing yeah. blood flow to the area, wall sit like those are great ones to implement into yeah if you have knee pain start doing those isometrics and also mm -hmm. just like you mentioned doing those movement patterns even just continue to do what you know you can do without pain essentially yeah. so yeah very absolutely. good strategies thank you for that and then i wanted to go more down nutrition when it comes to recovery rehabilitation and how that ties into fitness. So nutrition can obviously be the hardest part for people. So what would you say in a few sentences are the key components to a healthy metabolism and diet when it comes to having a good recovery? Yeah, great question. We won't try to open up too many uh, hands of worms or go down too many rabbit holes here because I find that nutrition is a topic that a lot of people have a lot of very like strong beliefs and opinions about and it, it and it seems like everybody has an opinion about how you're eating right it's like you know they put their beliefs on you but however you're eating whether it's you know you eat an animal-based diet you eat a plant-based diet whether you do some sort of combination thereof when it comes to training and recovery first and foremost we need to make sure we're getting enough fuel to support the training that our body's trying to do right we see this a lot in endurance sports where people are not actually eating enough for what they're trying to do. And they're chronically dealing with these aches and pains and nagging injuries. Maybe they're just not eating enough and they're asking their body to perform more than the fuel that they're actually giving it. Okay. So that's just a calorie thing. Well, then when we start talking about, okay, now we have a muscle or a tendon injury. Well, what is that made out of? That's made out of protein, right? We need adequate protein in order to allow that tissue to repair from the training that we are doing the micro damage that's occurring because that's how we you know, build muscle and grow right we do training we create a tiny bit of damage and our body repairs it and we gradually build and like lay these bricks and layer it on 
So a very general rule of thumb that we usually give people in our industry is however much you weigh in pounds, right? Shoot for approximately that number of grams of protein in a day. And that's far higher than the RDA that's like put out by the, you know, the government and, and the FDA and everything, because that amount, 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight is literally like just what we need as a very bottom baseline to try and not lose the muscle that we already have on our frame. But in order to actually optimize and thrive, we need a lot more than that if we're trying to keep moving the needle forward. So we need adequate calories, we need adequate protein to repair. And then uh, you asked about like metabolism. I mean, what I would say is I would go right back to that protein uh, conversation. And one of the best ways to improve your metabolism, assuming you're exercising, is to have more muscle on your frame, right? Because muscle is very expensive. It takes a lot of calories to sustain that muscle on our body. And what we know is as we age, we all go through this process of muscle loss called sarcopenia. And that starts in your 30s. So it is so important to continue to resistance train, continue to eat protein to minimize the amount of muscle that we're losing throughout our lives. And when you have more muscle, you burn more calories. So your metabolism is going to be higher uh, than if you don't. I I didn't know it started in your 30s. It starts <laughs> so early. I thought it was 40s. Like, uh, I was like, wow, man. that's actually pretty... <laughs> coming up unfortunately uh, but also a good point to make too when it cut you mentioned adequate protein which we always hear about like now i feel like people are starting to understand what how important it is which is huge but also understand that no matter if your goal is to lose weight or just maintain like you want to make sure you're getting in that minimum requirement mm -hmm. that andrew mentioned i think often people are like oh so then i need to lower my calories and my like everything in reality, it's like you want to keep that protein as high as you can uh, as yeah. well. So, yeah, I guess the only other thing I didn't mention is, um, you know, without without getting too detailed is we need a nice micronutrient balance in our life. Right. You know, most people know about the macronutrients, the carbs, the fat and the protein. And that's really, you know, that's where we get our calories from. Right. And that's where we get our energy from. But what supports all of the different functions and systems of our body is having a nice balance of micronutrients you know, kind of like the part that doesn't add calories. It's just the vitamins, the minerals, the things that really support how we feel um, and like how our gut feels and how our energy feels and everything. Really, a lot of it comes from that. Definitely. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, you're right. I feel like people neglect or honestly miss out like, oh, am I getting enough fruit, veggies, micronutrients in? I don't know if you've heard, have you heard of like the 800 gram challenge? Uh, I believe so. Uh, I can't say that I've done it. Like, though. Um, well, there's this, and sometimes I'll help people try it for a while just to kind of see what it feels like to have that much micronutrients and fruit and veggies. Yeah. But roughly it's around like six cups it's of fruit, fruit and or veggies. I know it's mm -hmm. quite a bit. So, or at least like a serving of them, I should say. And which is quite a bit, but sometimes I'll have people try and get at least a minimum and then like work your way up to just yeah. kind of you know sometimes it just cuts out those unnecessary carbs and that we oh 100 yeah we fill ourselves up with the good stuff then we have less uh less appetite and room for, for the stuff that we know we probably shouldn't be eating too often exactly What's up, guys? Dr. Andrew Fix here from The Code. And I want to encourage you to check out our friends at Flux Footwear, the only shoe with an adaptive sole that moves and flexes with you. Since I got my first pair, they've been one of my favorite shoes to wear no matter what activity I'm doing throughout the day. If you're looking for a shoe that can keep up with you're going to the gym, to the office, traveling, or just catching a coffee date, you're looking for Flux. Visit the link in the show notes or check out my Instagram to get 10% off and pick up your pair today. Well, okay. So my pros, I just want to go more into habits and resources and things like that. So my yeah. approach with clients typically is to look at their health and fitness journey as a long-term practice mm -hmm. towards better health. And most oftentimes the habits you want to maintain will not only help you lose weight or get fit, whatever the goal is, but it also most likely prevent you from getting disease and injury as well. Mm -hmm. So how do you believe 
that those habits play a role in long-term wellness. So we talked about nutrition, exercise a little bit. Um, feel free to talk about any others that you think of. But how do you yeah. believe that kind of plays in that long-term game? Yeah, great question, Sarah. First off, I would say, and I actually just was recording a, prior to us hopping on this call, I was just recording a podcast of my own, kind of on like this topic of injury, like what are the things that help prevent injury compared to what are the things that help improve performance? Mm. And honestly, I feel like they're basically the same thing, right? The same stuff that we would do to try to improve somebody's performance, make sure they're sleeping appropriately, make sure they're managing their stress, make sure they have a well-dialed in training program and make sure that they're eating adequately, right? Their nutrition plan is dialed in. Those are the same things you're going to do to try to prevent an injury, right? Make sure someone's sleeping, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think first and foremost, if we can sort of categorize those big four buckets and try to optimize as much as we can those areas, we're going to do that. I don't like to necessarily say that one is more important than the other. I think they're all important. But I think the statistics when it comes down to sleep and how that affects our performance and prevention of injuries is pretty staggering. So there are some articles out there that basically say if we are in a period of chronic sleep loss, chronic sleep debt, right, a period of days, 14 days or longer, where we're getting less than seven hours of sleep, our risk of injury goes up by 1.7 times, right? So you almost double the chances that you're going to get hurt if you are sleeping less than seven hours for a period of 14 days or more. And that is huge. Like that's massive, right? So if we think about people playing sports. What about just people doing their normal daily sport of life? The chances of you hurting your back, doing yard work goes up by almost double if you're getting less than seven hours of sleep on a consistent basis. So that I think can't be overstated enough that we need to be shooting for more sleep and, you know, we need to put the habits in place in our day to allow us to do that, right? Whether that's going to bed and waking up at a consistent time every single day, whether that's putting your phones and computer screens away earlier and giving yourself like an hour prior to bed to, uh, to do that. Sometimes I talk to people about the what I call the three, two ones of sleep quality or sleep hygiene. And basically that's stop eating three hours before bed, stop drinking fluids, or at least heavily two hours before bed, just to make sure you're not waking up to pee multiple times throughout the night and put your screens away one hour before bed. And if on a consistent basis, you follow those three, two, one steps, you give yourself a better opportunity to have higher quality sleep, right? Your body's not trying to digest. You're just trying to rest and get the recovery that you need. Um, so yeah, I think that's a big one. And, you know, I think some of the other habits are like the, I like to tell people from an injury prevention standpoint, like the accessory things support the bigger picture, right? You and I would never sit here and tell somebody, I want you to do all these little rehab exercises instead of squatting and deadlifting and pressing and pulling. You need to do those things because that's how you're going to build the strength and you're really going to support the movement. But the smaller accessory things, the rotator cuff strengthening, the hip stability, the making sure we have proper ankle mobility, that stuff is all going to support your ability to do those bigger movement patterns, right? And the bigger movement patterns are how we really go about our life, but it's hard to do those consistently over time at a high level. If you don't pay attention to those little things, it's kind of like changing your wiper blades, putting fluids in your car and changing your oil and your brakes, right? None of those things are really what like makes the car drive, but in order for you to get from point A to point B every single time without failure, you need to do all those little things, right? Otherwise your chances of getting there safely go down. Um, and then, you know, so I would say your accessory stuff supports the primary. And then, you know, lastly, we all have 24 hours in the day. People have very busy lives. We have work schedules. We've got friends and family that we're trying to connect with. Many people have children or a lot of them that they're, they're trying to, you know, take care of and raise. 
And um, we need to prioritize our schedule around the things that are important to us. So I went through this early on in my time here at Physio Room. I was so focused on trying to grow my schedule of clients that I was leaving my schedule basically wide open throughout the day and kind of operating with the mindset of, I'll just work out and eat lunch like whenever I have time. Well, eventually what happened was there was no time, right? And I didn't have those things blocked in the schedule. So then they weren't really happening. And I was missing my own training sessions in my own like times that I wanted to eat. Um, and then I'm not quite as happy to be around or I'm not as fun to be around mm -hmm. when I'm not able to do that stuff. So what I do now is I schedule those things in first. I put in my week where I want the workouts to happen, where I want the date night with my wife to happen or, or whatever. And then I schedule all the other stuff around those buckets. And if you can, like, what are the things that are really important to you? Put those in place, put those healthy habits in place and structure the rest of your schedule around that as best as possible. I understand that's easier said than done. Uh, that's going to make sure that you have the time allotted to do those things. And then you're going to feel better. I just want to reiterate everything you said, because there are so many habits you discussed. Uh, when you talked about sleeping, eating adequately, and then managing stress. When you mentioned the sleep less than seven hours, I just had a reflection of my own self of when I've injured myself. And every time has mm -hmm. been when I know I had poor sleep. So it's just kind of fascinating to like, when I like look back, I'm like, oh yeah, I was like definitely like not ready to go, like had a poor sleep quality. So yeah, it's very interesting to look back about that. Yeah. And then the three, two, one, I've never heard of that. And I'm definitely going to take that one to use because I find I have these other little habits that set you up for a good sleep routine. And remembering that three, two, one, I think will be super helpful for clients of eating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Three hours you know, before bed or not eating three hours before bed, drinking two hours and then screens. Those yeah. will help yeah, increase your quality of sleep. And then when you mentioned prioritizing what's most important to you. So yeah, setting your day up for success, scheduling in your lunch. And I find people do not do this like ever. Like they'll have such a busy schedule that they're like, all right, now it's 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. I guess I should eat. And then they're kind of pushed back with their eating schedule. And not only that, just feel kind of dragging right in the afternoon. And that leads them into not feeling energized and leading to poor sleep quality. So yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because priorities are going to shift as we have different phases of our life. And yeah, you have kids and schedules get more hectic. But when you make time for exercise and lunch and these things that will set you up, you're going to more oftentimes prevent your injury and yeah, increase your performance like we've talked about. So are there any other simple strategies to that you find people could take to stay active with a busy schedule? Ooh, yeah. One just came to mind. I had written something down a little bit ago that, you know, I think this idea of like making fitness and making healthy habits part of like your family lifestyle is really important, right? Like, for example, one habit that we've tried to get in here um, with my wife, Erin, and I is we try to go for a short walk after dinner, right? One, it gets us just a little bit more movement in the day, but the positive implications are even bigger than that. It has a huge effect on lowering our blood sugar right after that meal. It gets us off of our phones for a little bit of time because we're just walking together, going outside. Being outside is super beneficial, right? Getting a little bit of sunlight or sun, like whether it's rising or setting in your eyes helps to really set that body circadian rhythm for when you should be awake and when you should be going to sleep. And, um, and honestly, just like we're on this, you know, this Zoom call podcast, so many people have, we're sort of talking to the masses, right? So many people have computer-based jobs. A lot of people have meetings that they need to participate in or phone calls that they need to be on unless you really need to be like at your computer during one of those um, phone calls or something so that you're like taking notes or whatever, if you have the ability to like get up and move around while you're doing that, like I almost never sit still when I'm on the phone. When I'm on the phone, I'm either in the car because I'm trying to knock it out during my commute or I'm going for a walk, 
right? And if you can like walk and talk, or if someone comes to meet you for coffee, rather than just sitting there, maybe you can grab that coffee and just go for a, sh- a slow stroll while you're talking. One, getting the body moving is going to spark a lot more creativity and conversation. But two, it's just going to promote a little bit of movement that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So like, I guess the the idea I'm talking about is just how can you trade some of the things that you're already doing, still do that same task, but get a little bit more movement involved while you're doing it. They even make treadmills now that you can put like under your desk. Yeah, definitely. Walk and talk. Yeah. You get more creative. I love that you mentioned that because that's when like the best ideas. I feel like mm-hmm. that's when I have my best ideas or just think more clearly after the fact where I'm like, oh, like I didn't think of like you basically find your solution when you're yeah. moving and yeah, increasing your blood flow and everything. So when I go for a walk, walk and talk or like a or like a just easy, steady bike ride without headphones in and I'm like not listening to music or podcasts and stuff and I'm just literally just silence. I have the best ideas like that's when I have like the best thoughts and all that stuff comes to mind. And that's when you need to have like a little notepad yeah, like, no, right. phone to write yeah. notes down. I have so many notes because yeah, I always think of random ideas and put them in there. So yeah, those are really the great ones. And I, I wanted to bring up balance. So like stability balance, like, because we're talking about staying active throughout mm-hmm. the light throughout someone's life. And as one ages, I think balance is one that does not get brought up quite a bit like a lot or people just kind of forget do you use it with your clients when it comes to you know certain assessments standing on one leg you know i've definitely seen the big tiktok or just one on social media where you put it one shoe on with standing on one leg yeah without using your other leg like do you think those are great assessments or like what yeah what do you kind of use to to do test that yeah good question yeah and i think i think balance is very important because one very real thing is especially as we age right falling and injuring yourself from falling is a huge concern right and you know i'm not going to say this just to like scare people this is just reality this is a real statistic that you know once we get over the age of 65 falling and fracturing your hip is a very big concern and one third of people that do end up recovering pretty darn well and going back to a very normal life. Another third of people that fall and fracture their hip end up dying within the next year. And the other third end up basically living the rest of their life in a more like assisted living style scenario, right? Where they need more assistance and care because of the lack of functionality that they now have as a result of that injury. Having better balance, having better strength is how we can minimize that risk so that we can if something does happen, we can recover from it and we can go on to living a very normal life for however many, many more years that is. But um, I think a good rule of thumb is if you structure single leg work into your training program, right, into your day, you put yourself in a scenario where we have the ability to practice our balance. When you go to just a normal big box gym, if you're you're exercising, and you're just going from one machine to the next, to the next, to the next, and you're not actually doing what we will call functional training, where like you are standing on your feet and you're lifting weights or using a barbell or whatever that is, where you're having to engage all these little stabilizing muscles to control where your body is in space. That's very different than just going from a leg press machine to a hamstring curl machine to a leg extension machine and a calf machine, where you're basically sitting down in all these scenarios. Um, and I'm not saying there's not a time and a place for machines. There definitely are because it helps us, you know, isolate a certain muscle group in body, uh, region, and we can really strengthen or, or do hypertrophy in that area, for example, but that doesn't hit all those small stabilizers. So making sure you have that in your routine, a good test for people, I think is with your eyes open and you stand on one foot for 30 seconds without having to touch your other foot down, right? Or without having to use your hands to hold on to something. My recommendation would be to do this without your shoes on. One, and without socks for that matter. One, your balance will probably be better without the shoes. I've heard people tell me, man, I'm, I'm so much better at balance when I have shoes on. 
And I just think to myself, no, you're not. That That's not actually the way that the body works because you will feel the ground better when you take all that foam out from underneath your foot. And then balancing is so much harder when we have our eyes closed. Now, of course, you have to be in a safe environment when you're going to do this, right? Um, stand near something that you could grab onto or or that you feel confident that you could put your other foot down and control yourself so that you don't fall. But can you balance on one foot with your eyes closed for 15 seconds without having to grab on or touch on anything? And if you try those things, you'll probably find that it's not that easy. And the surface that you're standing on is going to make a difference because the more soft and squishy that is, like a carpeted floor or turf or something, will probably be a little bit harder than a firm, stable floor that's like wood or or cement or something like that. Um, because it just provides less wiggle. Um, but yeah, I think I think we just have to put those things into our routine. We have to occasionally stand on one foot or try those little challenges to test ourselves and um, not always be on two feet so that we can work on that balance. Because if you have good mobility, good stability, strength, balance, and power, you'd be balanced, right? A different term of the word balance yeah um so yeah yeah that's a great question single leg work so definitely start implementing that into your routine i just want to bring that up because yeah sometimes i just feel like like you mentioned peaking to the next and they're just on machines for their workouts throughout the week and they've been doing that for months so spending time off the machine is going to have way more pay dividends to not only your progress but also seeing results when you work those stabilizing muscles so yeah one thing that I also see, you probably see this too at, uh, you know, at the traditional gym is a lot of people are just going in using uh, cardio equipment, right? They're walking on treadmills or yeah. they're walking on stair climbers or whatever, ellipticals. Um, but they're just holding on to the handles. And I know sometimes that you might be holding on because there's like sensors there that assess, uh, estimate your heart rate and whatnot. And people want to know, but also most of us are wearing some sort of a watch or something that tracks your heart rate, or there's other devices that could do that. That's very different than when we're walking outside, unless you're holding on to a stroller or a grocery cart or something. Um, So what I'm getting at is if you're walking on a treadmill and we want to think about your balance at all, as long as you feel safe that you're not going to fall, let go of the treadmill and like actually walk and let your arms swing because that's going to more closely um, be similar to what you're doing outside anyways if you're trying to replicate that movement and it's going to make you balance because your balance is a little thrown off on a treadmill because the belt is moving oh. underneath you. Uh, it's very different if you're not holding on versus if you are. True. Thank you for bringing that up as well. Cause I find that even when people come to the gym, yeah, they start grabbing on the handles. I'm like, let's start not using the handles because yeah, you'll start building that stability. Once you get mm-hmm. used to that belt, especially if you haven't been on a treadmill in a while yeah, or whatnot, totally. but, uh, Andrew, tell us more about your podcast. So you have a podcast called The Code and we're, who should check it out and tell us just more about it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, and um, it's been exciting to to host a podcast. It's definitely a lot of work. Um, and it takes a lot of time to do these things. But like you mentioned, the podcast is called The Code, A Guide to Health and Human Performance. And you know who it's for, I think it's for anybody who is looking to just find small takeaways of how you can improve your performance in your life in like all facets, right? What we talk about a lot on that show is we do a lot of interviews or smaller solo episodes on topics that are involved in this health and fitness world, whether that is nutrition, sleep, stress management, uh, movement, or relationships, right? We've had interviews on there with like functional medicine providers, personal trainers, other physicians, psychotherapists, right? And there's an episode not that long ago with you, with Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you guys want to go check that out, you can find it on like all the different podcast platforms. There's probably, what do we got? I think tomorrow, uh, as of the recording of this one, I think tomorrow episode number 82 comes out. And they're not numbered on the different podcast platforms. There's just a title, but we're not necessarily numbering them. And um, yeah, it's been going since February of 2022. Wow. 
so awesome. Yeah, I love listening to your podcast, especially when you have on those psychotherapists and other like there's always so much value in them. So definitely, definitely check it out. Where can they find you or check out your clinic here in Denver? Yeah. Yeah. Again, our practice is called Physio Room. And like if that's uh if you're looking online or Instagram or anything like that, the tag is Physio Room Co. Co at the end. So that's like the website, physioroomco.com, the Instagram page, the Facebook page. And um, we have locations in the Denver metro area, Highlands Ranch and DTC. And then we actually have a provider down in the Springs. And, um, you know, depending when you're listening to this, that will probably grow over time. We'll probably expand where we have those physical locations. And then we do virtual work with clients as well, um, especially if it's someone that we already know and that we're working with and then they're traveling for work or something. We still work with those people virtually to make sure that they are not, uh, you know, missing a beat, even though they're on the road. And then, uh, you know, my, my information, I believe my tag on social media and all that is at Dr. Andrew fix, no periods, no spaces, anything like that. And then, uh, there's a YouTube channel with, with the same thing. Oh, perfect. Awesome. I'll post all those links in the show notes. So you guys can definitely check it out, give them a follow and definitely check out yeah our most recent or one of the episodes I was on, on the code as well, if you want to hear more about that. Mm-hmm. But Andrew, before we finish, I want to ask you my signature question that I do mm-hmm. with each interview. And this is, so since my goal is to really just help others overcome, whether it's their fears and just insecurities, things like that, and lean more into growth in all mm-hmm. aspects of their life. Tell us about what you have done in your life that allowed you to experience tremendous growth, but took getting out of your fears. Yeah, great. Great question. Two things on my, I used to have this on the background of my phone. I don't, I don't have it currently. Um, I had this quote that says life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Right. And I had that on there for years and years and years just as a daily, well, multiple times a day, right? How many times do we look at our phone? But just as a daily reminder that in order to really live and continue to move your life forward, you have to step outside of your comfort zone. And um, I think one of the biggest times that I did that was really in this move here to Colorado. Um, Moving from the traditional style physical therapy clinic that's very like insurance-based, where providers pretty much just get paid a salary. And I had a very comfortable salary. I was in a position that I was pretty happy with. I was in an area that I had a lot of friends and everything. But for some reason, I just felt like there was something more that I needed to do that I was meant to do. And Aaron and I wanted to move out this way to Colorado. So we decide that I'm going to quit my job. I don't like to use use quit. I'm going to leave my job and explore another opportunity She's going to do the same thing. And we're going to move out here and take this big risk to have me move into this world of performance-based, more cash-based style physical therapy, where my salary was not guaranteed. And I had so many people, my parents, my grandparents, um, other family members, other friends, pretty much ask me, like, are you crazy? Like, why would you step away from this? I don't want to say cushy. It wasn't a cushy job, but like this stable, safe job with this steady income, why would you walk away from that to take this big risk on something that's not guaranteed? And I just basically said, you know, I don't know. On paper, I know this makes sense to stay here, but for some reason, my gut is telling me that I need to go do something else. And I think that was like one of the most eye-opening experiences. The COVID pandemic started right during that same time. Like we moved out here two months after COVID started. Um, our owner at physio room was unsure if he was even like, we didn't know what was going to happen. He was unsure if he was going to be able to pay me. And we just kind of figured what is the worst case scenario? We could always go back if we needed to, or we could always just find a job somewhere else if we absolutely needed to, but we would regret it if we didn't take the chance. Right. So I think that was probably the biggest stepping out of fear or security and into a trying to Mm -hmm. find some growth. Um, Because 
there's been a lot of personal growth that's taken place in that. And, you know, another quote that I've just loved for like my whole life is don't trade what you want the most in the world or your most in your life for what you want right now. And that can be applied to like everything, right? Like, I know you want this cake or this cookie right now, but you also want to, you know, be on stage and be proud of yourself at a bodybuilding show or whatever. Like, which one do you want more? Do you want the cookie or do you want the, you know, the training that you've been putting time in for? Like, don't trade what you want most for what you want right now. Oh, that is so good. I love that quote. That was a long answer, but. No, that was great. Thank you so much. I love that quote and definitely is so, so true. So true. And I, yeah, like everyone, I mean, most of the listeners know my story with moving out here as well. And I find mm-hmm. I relate to you in that way a lot too, where it's like you take that big chance and mm-hmm. usually anything, like you mentioned, that takes you out of your comfort zone is going to pay off and you're going to find so much personal growth and you probably most likely won't regret it. So awesome. Absolutely. Any other things that you would want the listeners to know before we wrap up? No, honestly, I thought this, I mean, I think this conversation was awesome. I'll see you probably in the gym here (laughs) shortly. And, um, you know, since we talked a lot about like, how can we set ourselves up for success with um, health and aging and continuing to be active as, as we age, you know, I would just encourage everybody that was, uh, what's the word was um, nice enough to listen to this episode for us today. Like, please go out and do some sort of movement today. Cause we talked a lot about it. So go for a walk or do some squats and some pushups or do a 20 minute yoga session or like, just go do something and get your body moving and uh, set yourself up for success to feel good today and tomorrow. Perfect. I love it. Move today. Everyone move today. <laughs> Thanks so much, Andrew, for coming on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Sarah. Thanks so much for having me having me and uh, we'll talk to you later.